Hey, we love Burger King grilled dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. Mm. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to go in-depth on the New Orleans Pelicans. They're a team that I've been really interested in this season, mostly, I'll be honest, about Anthony Davis's ridiculous season and how well he's been doing, but New Orleans also has a unique place in the playoff picture, and it's a very fascinating playoff picture at the bottom of the West. As much as I rail on the format, it's going to be really exciting to see how that push happens this year. So I wanted to get on Mason Ginsburg. He writes for Bourbon Street Shots, which is a great New Orleans Pelicans blog. You should definitely read it. I would say whether you're into the Pelicans or you're not. I'm not somebody who is in that area, but I still think it's definitely worth reading. So Mason and I talk about the Pelicans, their place in the playoff picture. We also have an interesting discussion on the MVP race, which in some ways is more interesting now in light of James Harden having a really nice game on Tuesday, which is after we've recorded this on Monday. But, and then lots of conversation on Anthony Davis, of course. Conversation runs about 45 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. It was a blast having Mason on again. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. The Pelicans are in such an interesting place because we could talk about the drafting if we want, but they're battling to get into the playoffs. And I'm seeing it from more of a national perspective, but from somebody who's, who's following this team day in, day out, how do you assess their playoff chances? <laughs> Just like it looks like from the outside, it definitely changes from day to day, especially with the Pelicans and the kind of weird season they've had. Obviously, the the injuries to Davis every now and then, but Drew Holiday, that injury has played a large factor. But it's crazy watching the ups and downs of this Pelicans team. You go to you go to Philly, you go to New York, and lose both those games, albeit without both Davis and Holiday. And then some of the some of the wins that this team has had is also very a very impressive. Uh, no, nothing lighter than the uh, the Atlanta Hawks win they had about a week ago. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a three-team fight. Maybe four now with the uh, Blake Griffin injury, if that impacts them significantly. Which you know, I, I think they've got a reasonable amount of wiggle room there. But with as thin as that team is, um, and the continuity that the Clippers have with their top five, their their starting five has played way more minutes than anyone else in the NBA. So that's going to be an adjustment for them. But yeah, it's it's been it's going to be a fun race. Uh, hopefully, the Pelicans can take care of business in the two games before the All Star break against Utah and Indiana. But assuming they can do that tonight without Davis, it, it changes. Like I said, it changes daily. It's, it's definitely these. I think all three teams have very close to even likelihood of making it. The Pelicans, I, I did a, wrote a post for Bourbon Street Shots uh, about a week ago outlining kind of all the tiebreak scenarios. And the Pelicans are now 4-1 and one against both uh, the Suns and the Thunder. So they're in really good shape from a tiebreak perspective. But the question is, can they keep up with a team like the Thunder with assuming Russell Westbrook and Durant are fi- finally fully healthy? 
they're a better team than the Pelicans are. So this question of if these guys stay healthy, can they keep up? And uh, it's a great question. I just I, I don't know right now. And if the Pelicans can stay healthy, if Drew Holiday can come back after the All-Star break, then I think that they have a really good shot. What have you been hearing in terms of Drew Holiday? Because I think we're in agreement that he's an incredibly important part of any Pelicans potential playoff run. And I'm assuming that the longer All-Star break could end up being a huge benefit for New Orleans, both for him and for whatever lingering effects Davis has from that crazy fall over the weekend. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. And even with Tyreek Evans has played great since Drew's gone down for the most part. But you see with the two games against the Thunder, you saw Russell Westbrook scored 93 points in two games against the Pelicans. And you just you can't ignore that. That Drew Holiday brings something to the perimeter defense of the Pelicans that no one else can. He's the second best player on the team as well as Tyreek Evans has played. Drew's unquestionably the number two player on this team. And uh, as far as the injury, I haven't heard anything new. The, the Pelicans like to, like many teams, they like to keep this stuff pretty close to the chest. But um, the, the hope is that after the All-Star break or, you know, within the next couple games after the All-Star break, he, he's back and ready to go. But, that, you know, like I said, there's nothing that's been released uh, quite yet for, for Drew. Yeah, the other component of the playoff run, and you hit on it in terms of Blake Griffin, is going to be which teams can stay healthiest the rest of the way because their injuries have played the huge role in creating this circumstance itself. And it seems in some ways like it's going to be luck, but at the same point, I sit there and I think about the Suns and I go, well, they've been healthier than everybody else. Maybe that's going to be, that's how it shakes out. Yeah, and that's kind of how from the start of the season, you knew that. And you knew with the depth of the Western Conference, it was always going to be who can stay healthy and, and, and who doesn't. And I think in the playoffs, I mean, obviously, I think you're going to see the best teams win, all health being equal. But to get there, you just got to you got to get there. Whether you're the seven seed or the three seed, it's all going to be decided by a matter of two or three games. It looks like, but like I said, the Drew and AD got to have to come back healthy after the break, or hopefully you get Davis back for that last game before the break. And looking at the other teams ahead, the Spurs have a tough roadie road trip ahead of them, but they're finally healthy. And I, I don't see them slipping out. So you look at Clippers, you look at, I mean, he, in my opinion, and I know we'll touch on this later, but James Harden's been the MVP of the league for with what he's done to keep Houston playing as well as they have without Dwight Howard. Portland, you thought maybe they'd slip when the Aldridge news came out, but he he's playing through the injury and they look like they're going to be just fine. So right now it's really, I, I think the only, the eighth seed's the only one really up for grabs. And maybe if the Clippers go on a free fall without Blake Griffin, you, you find that seventh seed, but um, apart from that, it's it looks like it's a three-team fight for that eight seed. And when we're talking about the playoffs, I'm sure some people, in especially considering it's a top eight format, not the top 16 like many of us have advocated for, but talk about what, as a somebody who covers the Pelicans, what you think it would mean to this team and this fan base, even if what they get is the eight seed and let's say they lose in five or six games, like what that would mean to the team in the city. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, this year, that's that's the most likely scenario is even if they get the eighth seed, that they lose in five or six games to that Golden State team that I believe Golden State is a, you know, a, a decent bit ahead of the next best team in the West with, at a, with a fully healthy roster. But it, it's tough because with, with uh, the expectations of the city, they're judged for better or for worse on, it seems like this season, whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. And that's really not fair. You look at the Pelicans, that they're definitely one of the top, I think, 15 teams in the league. And that's just, it's it's not good enough sometimes to get you there with the depth of the Western Conference. But they've played well. It's been, there've been some ups and downs, but I, I, looking at how this team, what, they got to New Orleans uh, back in 2002, 2003, they were fortunate enough to be able to draft a franchise player like Chris Paul, and they had a great deal of success with him. They 
you know, were a game away from the conference finals against the Lakers team that many people think they would have beaten to go to the NBA finals, uh, but they couldn't take care of business against the Spurs and lost that one in seven. And people have been itching for the team to get back in the playoffs ever since then. And now they see how good Anthony Davis has been for the Pelicans. And they ask, well, why can't we make it? You know, we look at the teams in the East, a couple of these teams that are on pace to make the playoffs, Char- Charlotte, Miami. And you say, why? We're better than them. Why can't we be there? And sometimes the blame just falls on, on the wrong shoulders, but it's, especially in the West, it's just, it's a dogfight. And so I think that's, that's tough for some people to grasp and deal with. Is it harder in a sense that New Orleans geographically should be in the Eastern Conference? <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's, that's something we talk about more, more in jest than in, in seriousness, because people, the things that most fans don't think about are the, are the distances teams travel. And while the Pelicans probably travel more than most, many of the other teams in the league because of the fact that they're in the Western Conference, it's really not something that anyone stops and says, well, why aren't we in the Eastern Conference? Because it seems like a cop-out almost. And no, no one really clamors to be in one conference over the other. It's more of just, why can't we make the playoffs? And that's a good point. And as, as people talk about, you know, that you, you're dealing with a situation where there hopefully will eventually the pendulum will slide back the other way. But you talked a little bit about Harden and, and Davis is the MVP. And one of the things as we get, to, I'd like to talk about this in more detail is I like to ask people who cover the sport, how do you define the MVP? Because as far as I know, there isn't really a clear cut definition like there is for a lot of other things. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And uh, I, I try to look at it. Wins over wins over replacement is a good place to start, I think. But it's also like I take for example the I had a a good debate with a couple of classmates a couple weeks ago about the NFL MVP and kind of, kind of the fact that Aaron Rodgers won it and is he the most valuable player? Probably so. But if you look at it a different way, JJ Watt definitely, uh, in my opinion, had was the most valuable player in the sense that he probably provided the most additional value over a league average or a replacement player. And you know that, that's kind of the similar debate you run into in, in the NBA because for me, I think it's I think it's James Harden what he's provided for this Houston Rockets team. He, he's improved on defense. He's by no means an All Star in defense right now, but he's better than he certainly better than he was with. The number of games Dwight Howard's missed, he's been providing so much offense for that team. And, and even when you say, hey, this team has a, one big score, his name's James Harden, go stop him, you can't. And I think that's as well as Steph Curry has played for Golden State, they're just as good on defense as they are on offense. And I think there's just there's a lot of shared responsibility for how good Golden State's been. And with Anthony Davis, while I think he's been the best player in the NBA so far all, all around, the Pelicans are still sitting on the outside of the playoff hunt, and I, I just think that if it if it if the award was given out today, I I would give it to James Harden. I think there are a lot of really good points in there, and one that I've the way that I've defined it recently and eh, generally for a little while is the idea you talk about replacement player. I like to define it as the somewhere between the fifteenth and twentieth best player. I started using twentieth for whatever reason. I don't really know why I did that. But the idea is basically if you swapped that player for, let's say, the 20th best player at their position, how different would the team be? And what Harden, his best case in some ways is positional scarcity, is that nobody else can do what he does. And so unless you're defining it broadly as backcourt and doing some other gymnastics with things like that, you you have that because if you swap out any other shooting guard for him, uh, maybe, maybe Manu, maybe a few others, but Manu doesn't play the minutes. You're not going to be getting that same thing, and if you, they, and that allows them to do things like have a guy like Patrick Beverly, who's a great defender but not really the creator, and gives them the flexibility. Whereas if you replaced Stephen Curry with the 20th best point guard, the Warriors wouldn't be as good as they are, but they'd still be pretty good. 
Right. I think that's a great point. And, and kind of relating back to the Pelicans, one of the things that James Harden really brings is consistency on offense. Michael McNamara for our site, something he wrote recently that really resonated with me was kind of about the Pelicans have a bunch of good offensive players, but none of the none of their players really get to the free throw line apart from Anthony Davis and Omar Ashik, who can't make free throws very frequently. So you have good Pelicans players who can shoot the ball well, but on nights that they're cold, the, the way that you kind of counter the, a cold shooting night is the ability to get to the free throw line and the Pelicans just haven't been able to do that uh, for whatever reason. I wrote, a, I wrote a column back in December kind of looking at Tyreek Evans and how he gets into the paint so frequently but just doesn't get foul calls and guys in the Pelicans are just actively avoiding contact uh, frequently and they've gotten disrespected from the referees a little bit I think but you really can't blame the rest for, for, their, for their low free throw rate and so bring it back to Harden that, that's one of those things that he brings to a team especially that doesn't have a ton of offensive weapons the ability to just get to the into the paint and get to the free throw line pretty much at will is really a, a huge benefit for that Rockets team. Fitting in with that, what would you say would be the the most important thing? I think you and I talked about this a while ago. If you could pick a single attribute to pair with Anthony Davis, what would it be? Oh, that's a. I think I remember talking about that, and it's a it's a tough question because he's Davis is so versatile that I really haven't thought about the, the best possible pairing we're, we're kind of just, even still his he hasn't even reached the ceiling yet or anywhere close to it I don't think so it's tough to figure out I mean, when he, when we decide what he's ultimately going to be then you, you start from there and kind of figure it out obviously I think they need to find they need to find some perimeter defense that's that's the main issue right now because you have a great defensive pairing with Ashik and um, and Davis down low but apart from Drew Holiday who's who's been injured for I a, a, a close to a month now, I guess, they really haven't had any sort of solid perimeter defense as evidenced by the Westbrook craziness in that two-game stretch. So that's a good place to start. The Pelicans are a top 10 offensive rating team, so I think you have to start on the defensive end for some significant improvement, and I think that starts with the wing defender. I'm not sure. You know, you have to, we'd have to start talking about who's available and, and who is a realistic get for that team, but what, the perimeter defense it has to be the start uh, uh, in terms of what we need to pair with Davis to, to really take that next step. And one of the pieces of data that's out there now that I find most interesting in terms of the discussion of, let's say, Davis's defensive value is people talk about, oh, you know, they're getting all these guys driving to the rim. And from what I've seen so far, and this is a huge benefit of having the sports view data, what I've seen is that having a good, let's say, rim protector, shot blocker, it doesn't really affect the amount of times proportional, let's say, or times that opponents shoot at the rim, what it affects is the success rate. And that fits in with the Pelicans because if guys are getting to Anthony Davis, and that's still, I mean, as great as he is, there's still a pretty good shot. It's better than a lot of shots that other teams take. And so what that would do is that would give the Pelicans a buffer. And so, like I say with the Warriors, Andrew Bogut's value is erasing mistakes, but if you can reduce the mistakes that he has to erase, that makes his job easier. And also... That just makes the team uh, an overall a harder stop, and it makes offenses more frustrated. Absolutely agree, and you know it's it's been tough, especially for for Omer. You know, a lot of people look at just the raw numbers and say, well, what is he? Because he's he's had two years in Chicago, two years in Houston, and he's been a very solid rim protector for his entire NBA career so far, pretty much. And here in New Orleans, the Pelicans are bottom ten defensive rating team in the league, and that's where they were last year too. So they're up they're up maybe five spots from last year, and you say, well, why? Why, why is Omer here if he's not going to help this team improve on, def- on the defensive end? And I, I just think that's a sh- shallow, uh, a shallow 
way to look at it. You have to kind of dig deeper and, and see the other problems that are, that are around. Like, for example, Al Farouk Aminu is, I, I think he may be, he's overrated as a defender because he, he, he has the athleticism, but not, the, not necessarily the basketball IQ. And, you know, you saw times where he just got lost in defense end. But that being said, he's still a better perimeter defender than anyone the Pelicans have on either wing right now, ignoring the point guard position. So, you know, you, you may have gained Omer Ashik, but you also lost Aminu, who played a lot of minutes for the Pel- for a Pelicans team that was decimated by injuries last year. So you kind of, not to say that Aminu was, should be a starter in the NBA because the Pelicans offense with him on the court uh, was just, was just anemic. It, it was, it was terrible because he can't space the floor. He can't shoot, but he definitely helped in the defensive end. And, and when you don't have that first line of defense there to really stop guys from getting to the rim, that makes him, he and Davis's job harder. And it's, it's definitely been a problem this season for the Pelicans. And the other component of that is the cumulative effect that a lot of the players, from what I've seen, that the Pelicans have played at small forward have been undersized. And so not only are you going from a guy who, yeah, he has issue shooting and all this other stuff, but he has the length to defend that position easily. I mean, he was a, a 3-4, as a, and now the Pelicans have to play more two guards on sh- small forwards. And as we've seen in the league, the, when you try to do that, these guys are getting more used to that, and they're able to handle that, and they can just shoot over it. And so that creates problems and the fact that they're doing it a lot of times with guys who aren't particularly strong defenders just exacerbates the problem yeah absolutely and the the one thing that i will say is dell demps has done a great job this season of kind of bringing in players to help try to remedy that situation uh such as dante cunningham and more recently quincy pondexter you know i i I was one of the first people that i'll admit to to kind of question bringing in a guy who was signed for as long term as as Quincy Pondexter was you know they got rid of Rivers who really just never fulfilled what he was hoped to uh to fulfill for the for the Pelicans and you bring in Quincy and he hasn't really shot very well from three-point range apart from that one year with Memphis where they made, he was one of their big floor spacers on offense. But you know, what he has brought is defensive IQ and the ability to guard that small forward position. And between he and Cunningham, you, you've noticed the difference. And uh, it jives well with the Pelicans' easier schedule over the past month. But the Pelicans have significantly improved on the defensive end in that short time frame. And so we'll see, you know, hopefully when we, once Pelicans get Drew back and have a, a couple guys that can throw out there on defense and, and – maybe keep keep these guys from attacking the rim so frequently and after the break we hope to see that trend continue even against some of the better teams in the league i've been very encouraged by quincy pondexter i've actually been a fan of his for years one of the, one thing that a lot of people probably don't think about because it's so far from their pro career is that quincy pondexter actually played aeu ball with both lopez twins and so that's how i became aware of him was he was kind of the third guy on that team which not too bad to be a third guy behind two lottery picks but <laughs> He can fill a role. I mean, I don't think that he's if he's your third or fourth best player on the court, that's not as good if he's as if he's your fifth, but he can fill that role. I was so encouraged to see him closing out. I'm trying to remember which game that was of the Pelicans. I think it was one of the ones against the Thunder, maybe the Friday game. And he's just a good basketball player, and the hope would be that he could eventually do something kind of like what Trevor Reza did for those Laker teams, not Trevor Reza for the early Rockets teams, where he just works hard, he hits open shots, and that's all you ever ask him to do. And ideally, when you're thinking about a Pelicans team, this is part of the reason that I was a huge supporter of that trade, partially also because as we're going to see contracts explode, he's not paid that much money, so it's going to look even better over time, is that you can get guys to jump above him in the rotation, and I think he'd be cool with that. So as long as you can make his job easier by adding talent that they should be trying to do anyway. 
the contract bit that you mentioned about the salary cap bound to, to explode, it, it did cross my mind. Just the, the long-term salary uh, at the time for a Pelicans team that really didn't have a true identity. Uh, was, were, they were dropping dropping games to teams they shouldn't drop games to. And you just didn't know if the Pelicans were going to have to kind of blow it up and, and just say, all right, we have Drew, we have Davis, now what? Or, or are they going to kind of keep trying to build around? And, and it seems like that's at least for now. That's that's what the team plans to do. And you know, with Pondexter, you, you see the you see the the IQ on both sides of the ball. I, I just I've been kind of marveling at some of just the off ball cuts he's been making, and especially with a, a Pelicans offense that, despite its top ten offensive rating, can be very stagnant at times and a bunch of dribbling and dribbling. And you know the Pelicans typically, whether it's by design or just because of who, who the, the players on the team, they, they like to limit the possessions in the game and play. Play a slow pace and gradually bring the ball up the court, and not start off to possessions until maybe 14 seconds off from the shot clock. You know, it, it's it's been nice to see some of these so, some some off ball movement and ability to kind of create better looks. And I think you've seen it from from multiple players, not just not just Pondexter. I think the Eric Gordon over the past month has really. Uh, really improved in, in, in multiple ways, and one of them is he, he's he's been finding a bunch of uh, open spot up catch and shoot three pointers, and that's that's kind of a testament to the, to, to the movement off the ball. And 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 you know who, who knows this could be something that was inspired by by Quincy as soon as he came back to New Orleans was you know he, he kind of saw how things were going and, and and kind of inspired the team to really you know make some improvements. So uh, you, you don't know uh, it's it's speculation, but it, there, it's been a clear improvement since Quincy Pond actually joined this Pelicans team. It's funny when you were talking about the idea of him being a good cutter. I, my immediate thought was, "Hey, that's one really good offensive thing he could learn from playing with Tony Allen," which presumably he did. Though Pondexter's obviously bounced around in the league, but Allen is one of the best cutters in the league, despite having all of his other offensive misgivings right now. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's very fair, especially when Quincy can't be hitting from from long range. Uh, he's going to have to provide some sort of value add for the for the Pelicans on offense, it, um, apart from his his defensive intensity. That's definitely something that I have enjoyed seeing, and it, it looks like it's starting to to resonate with the rest of the squad. An abstract question that I would be interested, just because you're so much closer to the team. If you were appointed the general manager of the team tomorrow, and you had until the deadline. What kind of a package would you consider trading Omer for? Hmm, it's a very good question, and uh, it's it's tough to to make some sort of quick judgment because now now with Quincy and with what I've seen from the Pelicans as of late, I really want to see what they can do with with Drew back and and the whole the full complement of, of healthy players. I don't think this team is will suddenly jump to above average on defense as soon as Drew comes back. But I, I would like to see what they can do. But you know, that being said, it, it just depends on what you what you think you're going to do with that center position moving forward because there's going to be a decent amount of at least above average centers on the market this this upcoming offseason. This you know, Omar Asik for for everything he brings to you on the defensive end has been definitely frustrating at times offensively. So Man, it's uh, it's it's tough to say what I would where what I would give up for him. It's almost it's a little funny because I thought to myself when uh, Dwight Howard went down, I said, "Wow, that may be a good pickup for the Houston Rockets." But yeah, I I, I would like to be more patient, and I think you know, sunk sunk costs aside of maybe you you waiting out the season if you don't like what you have for Ashik from Ashik, then you you let him go and you don't you don't overpay a guy like Omer just because you traded a first round pick for him. That's the biggest mistake you can make. So I think at this point I, I would hold on to him for the rest of the season to see when Drew comes back how how this team performs with hopefully a full uh, a healthy roster and then you make your decision after the season whether you want to go with him or, or pursue a, a, a free agent like maybe Greg Monroe for example. 
And the other huge, huge thing about how how you piece together this Pelicans team is how you see Anthony Davis's role on offense and defense. And as you've mentioned, he's a work in progress. I mean, people forget how young he is. But do you feel more? Would you feel more comfortable envisioning him defensively as a power forward and more of a weak side rim protector, or eventually going into that more center role because there are so few true centers in the league? Yeah, this is definitely a question we we, we discussed in in depth last year. Up and I mean, because the Pelicans last year, it was a train wreck at center because they it was just after they had traded Robin Lopez and you were left with Greg Steensma and Alexi Ajinsa. Though Ajinsa has played very well this year, much better than last year, he's been able to keep his fouls down relative to what he was doing last year. But yeah, it was just a mess, and you saw the Pelicans perform best with uh, with the Ryan Anderson and Anthony Davis combo. But I, I think you maximize Anthony Davis's utility at the power forward position, but you may maximize the team's potential uh, at the center position. So it's a, t- it's a tough decision, um, and obviously it depends on who you think you can get at the center position and how much you're, you think you can spend there relative to the rest of the roster. But, um, you know, I, th- I think Davis is best as a power forward, but I think, you know, there's, like you, as you said, there's a more talented power forwards in the league than there are centers. So w- with that in mind, maybe the best long-term view is to have them have him play the five when you think he's he's strong enough and, and big enough to do that. But uh, for for now, I, I'm enjoying watching him play power forward because I think that's where that's where he thrives the most. I don't think we've talked about this before, but before he got drafted, I was there. That was the draft I covered. I asked him point blank. I said, "Do you consider yourself defensively a power forward or a center?" And he said. I consider myself a power forward, at least for now. He talked about how, you know, being a center and what that requires. And I, I can't remember if he name-checked Marcus Gasol. He might have, cause that, and that makes sense considering everything. But I can see how the nice thing about the league is that you don't have to do you don't have to make a rigid decision the only time that it really matters is let's say the opening and closing of games because you can't say oh we're going to bounce in between the two and do that in your closing lineup unless you're going to do it with somebody who has the kind of the switch versatility which incidentally Greg Monroe might have but what I think makes the most sense for him in a lot of ways and they've built a roster right now that makes sense with that is you play him primarily as a power forward but you have the ability to slide him over and you have somebody who can play the four next to him that makes sense with them and with whoever your other center is. And I, Ryan Anderson hasn't been what he was in, from what I've seen, but that makes some sense too. Yeah, and there's definitely the flexibility there with having the players like Omar Ashik and Davis and Brian Anderson because at late in games you can play you can almost play that offense defense substitution game as as you see fit and uh, Brian Anderson has had his struggles on the road this year that's for sure um, you know it could be one of those situations where he hasn't fully gained his his stamina and all, all that back since his injury last year but. Um, it, there's been flexibility there, and you know, I, and I think one thing we talked about last last time we we recorded one of these is about the potential of that three big lineup between Anderson, Davis, and, and, and Ashik. So that that's something they've seen very very sparingly. It's it's come out at, in certain moments, and it's done. I think it's done. It's been a positive net rating lineup from from the limited minutes it has gotten. But um, yeah, you do have that flexibility. The, the question is, once Anthony Davis gets that max deal that he's going to get this offseason, it won't kick in next year, but it will kick in the year after. Do you really have that flexibility to have to employ three big men as talented as Ashik Anderson and Davis? And and if the answer is no, 
then you kind of have to make a call one way or the other. Not to say players aren't tradable and you can't, I mean, besides maybe Eric Gordon, anyone on this Pelicans team, you, you, you can, you're able to trade. But it, that is a decision that you probably do have to make because you're not going to be able to, more than likely not going to be able to keep three, three bigs this talented on, on a roster in the long term. I definitely think that makes sense and leads me into another kind of question I had to somebody who's closer to the team is, do you feel like Monty Williams is maximizing to whatever degree you can considering the health, the talent that he has on this Pelicans team? It's a great question and it probably requires a very long answer and honestly, I I don't know enough to say that decidedly yes or no. I, I did a report card on the team about ha- at the halfway point a few weeks back. And and I gave Monty I gave Monty a C minus and the C minus sounds bad but it was it was meant to be just just a bit below expectations so I I think that it's been it's definitely been tough for Monty and I think as of late my my grade for him would change uh, to above that because of what I've seen from this Pelicans team recently and the fact that they've been able to do what they've done against some of these good teams whether it's the Hawks. Or the Clippers, Clippers without Davis and Holiday, but they've been able to play, beat some good teams without Drew Holiday. And like, like I said before, Holiday is without question the team's second best player. And so you look at a team with, with just Anthony Davis and some other guys that are very, very good role players. And Tyreek Evans, I think, is proving to be more than just that with the way he's been able to fill in for, for Holiday. But Eric Gordon, with contract and all, is now a role player. Uh, a good one, not not worth the, the money he's getting paid. Obviously, Ryan Anderson is a role player. He's not he he, he can't defend uh, very much at all inside, but he's a great one of the best stretch fours in the NBA. And so, and Ashik is a defensive center. So to be able to do what he's uh, what he's done over the past couple of weeks with the best player in the NBA and then just role players, no one else that is terribly talented on both sides of the ball uh, with Drew Holiday out. I think it's been admirable, and I think. He's done a fairly good job, especially recently, with the talent he's had at his disposal. And you know, I, I think he's definitely done enough to, to coach throughout the end of the season. And you know, I, I think it's going to be very crucial for, for Monty Williams' future as, as the Pelicans coach when Holiday gets back and the team's fully healthy to make a, make a run. Uh, if the Thunder go on a tear with Westbrook and Durant, those things happen. You know, if, they, if they rip off 17 of 20 and they, just, they get to 50 wins somehow – those things happen, but you have to see you have to see progress. You have to see continuity. You have to see a team make this this team make a real run at that at that eighth seed. I think that's a great point to tie it to how the team is playing as opposed to whether they get the record because there are so many circumstances outside of their control. But the one thing, and obviously you've watched more of them than I have, is and I think about a lot when I saw New Orleans play against Sacramento. I I covered it and I actually had this interesting angle. I was kind of over over the basket. And one of the things I noticed was that when, as soon as Anthony Davis got the ball, it felt like the rest of the team largely stopped moving. And some of that is probably just the players being themselves, and they're like, okay, AD has the ball, he's going to do what he's going to do. But having the idea that he can be more of a facilitator and that the amount of attention that teams will focus on him, it made me think that there's more that they can do with Davis in particular. Yeah, it's an interesting point, and I I don't think that's, an especially common occurrence. I, it absolutely happens, and I, I don't think it's. My point is, I, I don't think it's related just to Davis touching the ball. I think this team in general just goes through periods where 
everyone's just kind of standing around. And, and a part of it's related to how slow the Pelicans play. I, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that so frequently starts the offense so late in the shot clock. And I think part of that's by design. Monty Williams likes to slow down the, 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 the limit the number of possessions in a game. But, I mean, but that being said, it is frustrating at times. And I think you've seen an improvement as of late. Ironically, not, not because Drew Holiday being out is helping this Pelicans team. I don't think it is. But he was the facilitator. Drew Holiday was, was the guy that had the ball in his hands and was trying to set up teammates. Tyreek Evans was the guy who had the ball in his hands barreling to the rim and just trying to, trying to get, get points that way. But without Drew, other players, and this also could be tied back to, to Quincy joining the team, but the, you've seen more ball movement from other players not besides the point guard even i've even seen uh omer throw a throw a few nice passes out to to guys on the three-point line so um the the ball movement overall has been better and i think that bodes very well for for drew's return i don't think the players will just revert back to what they were doing before drew went down so um it's been a step in the right direction i i do like i said i have seen the same things you have with with davis especially late in the shot clock you know if if they don't, you know, a couple guys set picks for each other and Drew and Tyreek Evans is still at the top of the key just dribbling. They throw it to Davis and maybe they just kind of stand there and wait for Davis to do something incredible. And sometimes it happens. Uh, a lot of times it happens, even when the whole, the whole, uh, all five defenders on the, on the defense know it's coming. But uh, I do think that has something that, that's something that has been improved on uh, as of late. I was just thinking after I said asked my question and while you were answering about how hilarious it is that my solution to making the Pelicans a better team was to put more on Anthony Davis, a guy who's leading the league in PER and won't turn 22 until next month. I mean, it's just ridiculous that to think about how where he is in the age curve and to think about how great he is now, and we should never lose sight of that, but that he should, and it, it, emphasis on should, not will, be a greater force than he is right now. Yeah, it's 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 pretty phenomenal. And I was a couple weeks back. Uh, I was informed of a, of a statistic with Davis that you know the team the team is eleven points per hundred possessions better when he just touches the ball. And that doesn't mean he shoots it. That just means at any point in possession he he was passed the ball or he held the ball in his hands or did did something with it. And that just kind of speaks to. You know how how much teams focus in on, on Davis, and as they should, and the fact that he's not even 22 yet, it's 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 really unbelievable, and we we're we're so lucky to have him in New Orleans, and it's it, as as much as I enjoyed watching Chris Paul play and grow as a player in New Orleans, it's, it's going to be that much more fun to watch to watch Davis do the same. What I find so fascinating about Anthony Davis and why I've been started, his MVP case has been growing with me is I've been trying to piece together, we talked about the idea of, you know, replacement players. Where do you think this New Orleans team would be without him? Uh, in serious, serious trouble. <laughs> it's it's horrifying to think about that because, like I said before, this, this Pelicans team has a few excellent role players and no one really... No one really that, that's going to scare you on both sides of the ball, and and, and can really can really do a ton, uh, or is very is very versatile. So, uh, like a, a, par, a holiday would be the only guy that I would consider someone that I, I can trust on both sides of the ball and can beat you in more ways than one. You know, Tyreek Evans had a flash of three point shooting early in the season, but he's just a guy that that attacks the rim. Doesn't really he's an athlete, but doesn't give you a ton on defense. And you have a bunch of players who fill roles, but not guys who can really come together and sustain a, a, any kind of solid win streak. So you know, it, it depends on who you replace Davis with, but if you replace him with you know, a, a lead, say, say you bring in the last, the, the last guy to play power forward for the Pelicans for years, David West, say, swap him with him and this team, bottom of the Western Conference. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, th- I don't think they're necessarily Lakers bad, but are, are Timberwolves, but maybe 
you know, maybe those are the only two teams in the West that you're better than. And it's there's no way they're better team than than uh, than the team they're going to play tonight, Utah. So it's 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 night and day with, with Davis, and it, that that gap is only going to become wider as he continues to improve. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and I think where I would put them on talent would be last in the West, so right behind the Lakers and Lakers and probably the Jazz. But the difference is that those two teams, the Lakers and the Wolves, have been decimated by injuries. So if the Pelicans had better health, you know, maybe they'd be a little bit better than those teams. But it goes along with the concept that we never really think about. And you can make an argument. Baseball writers have done this for years, so the, the analytics minded, is that let's say Anthony Davis makes them 20 games better, which is a lot. That's a, a ridiculously large amount of games. But let's say he does that. You could also make an argument that, let's say Harden is worth 15 or 16, that the 15 or 16 he's worth are more important. But that's a really weird argument to make in terms of MVP. It is. And, you know, go look at Kevin Love for the Timberwolves. Obviously, we're seeing something different in Cleveland this year. But I think that's a really good comparison with Love is the fact that he made that Timberwolves team a lot better. and But they were never really a playoff team. They got real close until the injuries hit last year. But... Yeah, it, it's about playoffs, and it's about the the ability to contend for a title in most cases, and that's that's kind of where I, where I am with Harden because I don't I don't see the the Rockets as is as a, as a title contender, but with Dwight Howard back and healthy, maybe they could be, uh, you know, because they they improve on both sides of the ball. But um, yeah, that that's as much as I love Davis, and I think he is the best player in the NBA. And until this team is a certain playoff team, then I don't think he's going to get enough. Uh, attention for the MVP to, to to win it. So uh, hopefully that that by next season that changes and he can come home with his first MVP award in the 2015-16 season. But um, as for where we are now, that's 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 kind of what I expect. Am I crazy to think that we're nine months away from Anthony Davis having a reliable corner three point shot? Because his his mechanics are nice. It's an interesting question, and I think it'd be a nice add to his game. Obviously, it's always. It's always nice to have these guys on space floor, and, and Davis already has. You know, uh, Kirk Goldsberry wrote about it on Grantland a few days ago that that his his elbow jumper, his jumper, the the Dirk Rain shot essentially, or, or Lamarcus Aldridge. He's already that that shot's already progressing at faster than anyone could have expected when he came out of Kentucky. So uh, the the next step, it seems like a corner three would be would be reasonable. Uh, I don't know if it's going to come as early as next season, but it's it's a common question, I think. For a lot of guys, we had a similar player with Jason Smith last year. Is you know you can you can jump, make that shot out to twenty feet. Why not take one more step back and, and shoot a three instead of a two? How much uh, is the drop in percentage enough to counteract the fact that you're getting three points instead of two? And uh, it's a it's it's a good question, and you would like to see Davis add it. There's a lot to his game that he I'm sure there's a lot that he thinks he can improve on as good as he is right now. That's probably one, that has to be one of those areas. When you And when you think about great players, and it's something that people don't think about enough, is that a lot of times what they improve on is what they want to improve on. People harped about LeBron about developing a postgame for years before he did it, and it was once that really got exploited in that Maverick series, I think, that, that he really, really kicked that into gear, and we saw what happened with it. But the major X factor is whatever Anthony Davis wants to do, and I think it'll be exciting to see what he does in an offseason Hopefully he stays healthy. I mean, heaven forbid that would be, that'd be terrible if something happened. But to see what he chooses and says, this is what I want to work on in a summer that there's no FIBA, no Team USA, just him in a gym doing whatever he wants to do. Yeah, and I think one of those things is uh, maybe 
uh, his his work. I, I I remember hearing or not hearing, but reading an an interview with him recently. I can't remember who who did it, but the fact that we we talked about Davis, whether he was a power forward or a center. More recently, he said that he doesn't like playing center. I think he said that last off season or, or some somewhere around then. But uh, it, it just to your point, it's about what he wants to do and with the coaching what he thinks he should be doing so I look somewhere as in maybe his his drives to the rim looking at where where he likes to take that that jumper close uh stepping from the three-point line maybe working on kind of taking that ball and driving to the rim and, and working on the, those ball skills because you know as we know he was a guard before he had his growth spurt so his 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 ball handling is obviously already well above a typical big man. So if you can improve on that and really be a threat to either shoot or score from, from, from outside, that would be an incredible wrinkle to his game that he could add. And I think, I think his post offense too is something that he definitely wants to improve being the, the size that he is. So obviously he, that's probably, that's definitely a raw part of his game and one that he could definitely improve on. My completely insane pipe dream for Anthony Davis is that he can get comfortable enough that he can be the ball handler in pick and rolls sometimes. I just think that teams just wouldn't know how to handle that. It would just be so so weird and you could think about Ryan Anderson would be a logical would be a logical role man or, you know, pick and pop guy and that, but he has so many gifts that are unusual for a guy his size that I think we need to start thinking about those ridiculous things and hoping for them as opposed to just being like, oh, he's really good now. Hopefully he can, you know, hopefully he can get a little bit better. I mean, he he can add anything he wants at this point. He's he's at that stage in his physical development and he's so unique for his size and his background is so much fun that, I don't know, I, I'd love to see him just think about something ridiculous like that and just maybe develop a step back just because he can. Yeah, and one of the things, uh, the two things that Monty Williams has said that he wants Davis to work on is shooting the ball off the dribble and pushing the ball on the fast break. And those are two things that <laughs> you look at and and you, you start to think about these guys like Narkovsky and Blake Griffin. And it's as you said, the the possibilities are endless with this guy, and he has he has no ceiling. And just the the wingspan, the athleticism, just and the, the the drive to keep improving is is really admirable. And you really just don't find you know there are a bunch of guys in the in the D League who have ridiculous wingspan and ridiculous athleticism, but you don't have, see guys that have it all put together the way Davis does. And at the age of twenty one, this you let him do what he wants, and you 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 coach you coach him as best you can, and you just you you push him as much as you you think you need to. But you know Davis has his own drive, and he's gonna he, he's gonna keep growing, and it's it's really exciting. When you were talking about the guys with the with the wingspan, all that the guy that I was thinking of is a former Nor for a former Hornet, though he wasn't a Pelican, is Gerald Green. You know, Gerald Green is a magnificent athlete and he's a pretty good basketball player but the pieces that Davis has that he was missing are exactly why Davis has this ceilingless potential right now because he had the pieces that were so hard to teach and so he can just work on other components of his game and not have to worry about the fundamentals because he already has those yeah and you know that's yeah, you know, I talk about these players that the Pelicans have who are role players, and yeah, you know, the, the things that these players are good at as their defined roles are things that Davis might be able to add to his game, just like it's nothing. You know, it's and that just that that ability, you know, it's, is it's really it's beyond words and what he what he can what he'll be able to add to a basketball team uh, at, at the top of his game, and it's I don't know, I don't know what it is, and he I don't think he does either. I think the coaching staff may have a, a sliver of an idea, but we'll see as he keeps growing when he's 25 and 
three and a half years from now. That's it's still crazy to believe. You know, you think of yeah, I think of LeBron and Kevin Durant when they, they were doing great things when they were when they were young. But I don't know if they were doing things quite this great when they were this young. So um, it's going to be a, a fun few years to, to watch them continue to, to, to progress. And the other big hope there is that they can get. Uh, whether or not you love Monty Williams or like him or anything like that, it doesn't seem like he's one of those very rare net positive coaches. You know, the hugely beneficial ones, Popovich, I would put Rick Carlisle in that group. And my biggest hope for Davis, as long as he's in New Orleans, is that his incandescent talent is a bright enough light to draw one of those coaches there to say, I want to coach this guy. And we don't know how many they are in the league, and also that requires the front office signing that co- or hiring that coach. But that would just take this to a whole different level. Yeah, I, I agree. And that, again, that's no discredit to Monty Williams, but I think you touched on a very key point in that, in that conversation: is that the, the front office would have to has to have to sign off on it. And uh, that's that's not something that we've we haven't heard much of anything from the Pelicans front office on how they feel about the, the coaching situation and when, where they expect it to be. So. Even when things got really rough for the Pelicans, when they dropped games to the you know to to the Knicks and the Sixers, yeah, injuries aside, it was you really didn't hear anything about the Pelicans even thinking about making a move. And that's to their credit. They that's it's good that they're not the Sacramento Kings and letting everyone know about everything that they're thinking about or doing. But you know, there's really no indication that they've thought about making a coaching change and no one and couldn't begin to to guess who is on their radar besides, you know, you hear, the, the only names you hear really are the local guys like Joe Dumars for the GM position and, and Avery Johnson for the head coach. But there's nothing, I don't think there's much to that apart from the fact that they're local and they know, they know some of the current front office people. So it's anyone's guess what their feelings are about Monty and his future with, with the Pelicans team and, or, or who they would look towards if Monty is not the answer for them. So I'm just as in the dark as you are about that. I think that puts a good kind of sense of it. What's going on with the ownership situation there? <laughs> Nothing recent over the past few days or so, but from reports, Tom Benson is cutting Rita out of out of out of the picture essentially, and there's some court squabbling going on. But Benson is leaving the both the Saints and Pelicans to to his wife Gail, and so that there's court. Inner workings going on right now, but that that's that's kind of the gist of, of of what's happening. There's not a lot of detail. There's there's a lot of speculation about the kind of person Rita is, the kind of person Gail is, but I don't I don't feel comfortable commenting on on things like that. And all, all we know is we don't know anything yet. But more than likely, is that you know the, the the message Benson's trying to send is he wants to pass pass the, his teams off to to his wife. And there isn't any concern, at least not yet, that they the team would go somewhere else or anything like that. No, no. I, th- I think the point of this was to ensure from Tom Benson that the teams would would remain here for the foreseeable future. And I think as long as I think as long as you have yeah, as long as you have one person owning both. Fr- I, I I could talk more about the pros and cons of having your ownership own both the, the Saints and Pelicans from a from an ops perspective, but from a from a location perspective and a stability perspective, obviously it's a, it's a really good thing. You know, I have some discomfort with guys overseeing operations on both teams obviously there are synergies to be had there but there's also some question marks about you know that football and basketball are different sports and that requires different levels of expertise and that's provided to an extent but you know it's it's definitely a concern that i've that i've had in the past and hopefully hopefully those concerns are alleviated at some point in the future thanks you so much for the insight and thanks for taking the time it was a pleasure having you on yeah absolutely thanks for having me
Thanks again to Mason Ginsburg for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Bourbon Street Shots, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Mason Ginsburg. That's M-A-S-O-N-G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. I love talking about the Pelicans. They're just such a compelling situation, and Mason obviously has a, a wealth of insight on the team and how everything's working. And I really like the conversation on Harden and Davis in particular because events that have happened since then make it even more compelling and it's always fun when that happens it's the downside of editing a little bit after sometimes we record but for me intellectually it makes it fun to see how that goes and it's also fun with Mason because I when I was looking back on when I had one before it was the last episode before the regular season started and to think about how the narrative on Anthony Davis has changed as great as we all thought he would be that he's leading the league in PER and he's still 21 turns 22 and early March but New Orleans occupies a very strange place in the league because they have so much hope with Davis but one thing we didn't talk about as much this time as we did last time is just the development of the rest of the team and so they're doing better they're they're on the fringes of the playoffs which is great considering some of the supporting talent but they're gonna have some really hard decisions to make this summer and I'm excited to see how that goes and that's also why I was such a big fan of the Quincy Pondexter decision is that he adds a reliable piece for them. But thanks again to Mason for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And for those of you that have input in whatever way, I always appreciate it. You can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com. I want to run for the next month or so. I want to do a mix of broader things like I, when I have on writers, say like Nate Duncan, Arturo, anybody, and there are a lot of people I want to have on that I haven't had on in a while, or new people too, but I also want to do some real team-specific material, and I'm working on that, um, trying to get somebody who can do the Atlanta Hawks, have a few other ones in the works, which I'm really excited about. So anybody that you think would be a great guest, you can send that info on to me, but you can also send it to the writer and say, hey, I think you should be on, be a great guest. I always appreciate that. It's a little bit of leverage. And it makes it fun for me, and I like expanding the network of the show because more guests, you never know where the conversation is going to go. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bok, bok, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bok, bok, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.